works, right? So I'm just kidding. Yeah. They don't have to test it. You guys get a full show, and it starts now. So take it away. Thank you, Connell. Great show. We'll see you here tomorrow. Thanks, buddy. All right. So who do Republicans turn to now as we begin this hour? We spent some time up on Capitol Hill today, as I mentioned, asking that very question. Unfortunately, all of that important work has been torpedoed by eight people uh, within our conference who felt their petty personal grievances were more important than the work of the American people. One name being floated, former President Donald Trump, and he hasn't exactly said no. I'll do whatever it is to help, but my focus, my total focus is being president and quite honestly, making America great again. So is he being serious or just simply playing the role of Republican standard bearer? And you may have heard of the cat in the hat, but how about the cat in the bag? Doesn't have the same ring to it, but it's why TSA is putting out a warning now to travelers. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. That is not News Nation. Now, this is The Hill. Did something change? Connell was. Yeah, he was bragging before. Yeah, yeah, I think Connell punked me, maybe pulled a magic trick or something. Anyways, this is The Hill. And thank you for being here with us here on News Nation. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel, Chris Steyerwalt. News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Kara Frederick is the director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation and a former intelligence analyst for the U.S. Naval Special Warfare Command. Kevin Walling is a Democratic strategist and former surrogate to the Biden-Harris campaign. And David Drucker, senior writer at The Dispatch. Hello to you all, and thank you for being here on The Hill. Donald Trump, as you might know, in New York, wrapping up the third day of his civil fraud trial. But right now, his presence also being felt right here in Washington, particularly among Republicans who have floated his name as a potential replacement for the Speaker of the House. Trump was asked about it during a break for the trial earlier today. Watch. A lot of people have been calling me about Speaker. All I can say is we'll do whatever is best for the country and for the Republican would, Party. Would you take the job? Would you take the job? We have some great, great people. Would you take the job? leading my life, 50 points for president. My focus is totally on that. If I can help them during the process, I would do it. All right, Chris. So the the fact that we're even talking about this, is is this showing the state of affairs for House Republicans right now or the state of affairs of Donald Trump's essentially grip and control over the Republican Party? Oh, I don't know about that. I think what it shows is that it's a catnip kind of story. Uh, Once Americans find out that anybody can be Speaker of the House, that you don't have to be a member of the House, and then you start saying, well, who could it be? Could it be Oprah? Could it be? Who could could it be? Is Dwayne The Rock Johnson available? And then somebody says, what about Donald Trump? But here's what you have to remember. There's no good reason for Donald Trump to do it. And even if he wanted to do it, it would be unlikely that he could achieve. I I don't know that Donald Trump could get 160 votes, let alone, what does he need, 260? In the Republican caucus? 
Uh, well, he needs he needs half. He needs a majority of the majority in a you know in a secret conference only ballot. Of course, then That's they the go to the That's of course yeah. then they go to the floor, and we have to see if people are going to keep their commitments to abide by the winner of this conference. And there only are vote. and there are Republicans still in the House who voted to impeach him once before. Uh, I I can't imagine that that desire is there. And plus, that's a hideous job, right? I I would rather train bees with my bare hands than have to be Speaker of the House. And if you think Donald Trump would enjoy doing that or that would be helpful to him, there's no way. Here's what he posted on Truth Social. Um, He posted this image just a little while ago, 3 o'clock Eastern hour uh, here on the East Coast. He's playing into it, Kara. Uh, like, Like, why even go down this road and sort of... He's the idea. Well, he's doing what he does best. He's a showman, uh, right? He's a, he's a negotiator. He's the art of the deal. This is who he is. And and I think you, you put your finger on it when it came to the Republican standard bearer, because we know he's the leader of a movement. You know, that's been teased out in our public consciousness for years and years now. He is leading the way when it comes to what uh, conservatives, frankly, are, are thinking, what GOP, the GOP base is actually after. He's, he's changed a lot of things, and he's, I think, living up to who he's always been when it comes to conservatives and how we think, and especially on Main Street. Look, he likes attention. He's happy to encourage anything that garners some positive attention. I think what we need to remember about congressional leadership votes, especially a vote for Speaker of the House, is that the constituency here is not voters. It is not American voters at the ballot box. It is the members of the Republican conference. That's who you cater to. And let me tell you what they want. They want somebody who can negotiate legislation, who understands congressional process, who can raise money to help them preserve their majority and grow their majority. This is not about satisfying their voters at home. That's their job. This is Patrick McHenry uh, once told me, currently the Speaker Pro Tem, House Financial Services Chairman, once told me that politics is a service business. And when you're in leadership, you're not really leading them because you have a bunch of different bosses who themselves have a bunch of different bosses. What did Mitch McConnell but, say? It was like it was like being at a gravesite. It's like the the people underneath you not listening or correct, something like that. Correct. <laughs> and so to win this job, somebody is going to have to show this group that they can handle things legislatively, negotiate with Democrats and deliver them more seats next fall. All right. Well, as Republicans continue to debate who the next speaker of the House should be, might be. I talked with one of Kevin McCarthy's defenders, a moderate from New York, a Republican, Michael Lawler. I spoke with him just a little while ago up on Capitol Hill. Watch. This is a bit of a crazy day <laughs> yesterday, to say the least. No question. How uh, how'd you sleep last night? Uh, it was fine. I, you know, I, I'm honestly just disappointed for uh, our country. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, Republicans were elected to serve uh, in a House Republican majority and to govern uh, and to uh, tackle the issues facing the American people from spending to border security to uh, the threats emanating out of China and Russia and Iran. Uh, and unfortunately, all of that important work has been torpedoed by eight people right. uh, within our conference who felt their petty personal grievances were more important than the work of the American people. We're walking through the basement right now. I think you got a got an interview maybe you're going to. There, there's not much that's getting done around here today, is there? Right? I mean, it's effectively locked down. No, the House floor is, is shut down, unfortunately, uh, because, uh, you know, we can't really do anything until we elect a new speaker. Right. And so we're going to have to wait until, uh, you know, next week to meet as a conference, discuss 
who the candidates are, hear from them, and then hopefully uh, vote right. on the House floor. Uh, when you woke up this morning, what was sort of the emotion going through? Was it like anger, frustration, refreshing? Uh, I'm disgusted. Disgusted, yeah, you've said that word twice now. Uh, I, angry about uh, what happened. I think it was unwarranted. Okay. I don't think the speaker deserved that. Uh, and I think, again, these folks sided with 208 Democrats right. to remove the House Republican speaker. Right. That is not... Uh, at any point what should happen. If there was an issue, that should have been decided within the conference uh, and dealt with. What do you make of Donald Trump and the chatter around him right now about potentially being the House Speaker or coming in? And Look, there's never been a House Speaker elected outside of the House. Right. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the solution will come from within. Uh, we will elect a, a House Speaker next week, hopefully, and move forward. You know, some have been asking the question, how crazy do you have to be to run to be the, the House Speaker? Like, would it ever cross your mind of, you know, potentially doing something like that? Or, like, how does a congressman or congresswoman sort of process all that? Well, I think what is unfortunate is after seeing how Kevin McCarthy was treated, uh, by uh, several people who I would describe as ingrates. Uh, people ingrates? Who, ingrates, people who he helped elect, people who he helped raise money to win their elections, uh, and they voted against him. Uh, it makes it very hard to see how some future speaker is going to sacrifice what? so much time away from their family to go raise the money needed right. to build the majority that Kevin McCarthy built. Um, uh, I, I, I don't think these people truly understand what they just did. Uh, they took our best player off the field, the biggest fundraiser, the biggest uh, champion for a Republican majority, uh, and, you know, frankly, uh, burned everything to the ground. I think we're getting to our end point here, so I'll, let me let's leave with this. What is the most non? What is the most refreshing non-speaker conversation you've had today uh, here up on Capitol Hill? Not many. Not many. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks, guys. Right. Appreciate Thank the you. time. Thank you. All right, and joining us now is the former Democratic congresswoman from uh, Illinois, Sherry Bustos, former Republican congresswoman from New York, Dr. Nan Hayworth. She's also with the Independent Women's Forum. Hello to you both. You've made that exact walk uh, probably hundreds of times in your career. It was kind of weird, honestly, being there today. It was like there wasn't any energy, obviously. There's not much to do in the House right now. Nan, I'll start with you because I was I was told as— as the congressman there called Matt Gates and the seven others ingrates, you were yeah. you were nodding along in agreement. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. Kevin McCarthy uh, has worked tirelessly for uh, fourteen years, I believe it is at this point, for that House majority. Uh, he has indeed made many personal sacrifices, and he's been unstinting in his support. And several of those members, if not every single one of them, received generous uh, assistance uh, through the good offices of Kevin McCarthy and uh, you know the uh, the network uh, that uh, that he commands, if you will, or for which he works so very hard. Uh, so I agree with Michael on that. He happens to be my member of Congress, by the way, Michael Lawler, but oh, uh, and I okay. supported him and Kevin. Um, but yeah, it's and it's just disruptive. 
Uh, there, there's nothing good being accomplished through this action. It was non-strategic. It was disruptive. It was silly. And uh, I just hope that the, the House majority can resolve it quickly next week. Sherry, um, you know, walking through the halls of, of, the, of the Capitol today, it was, it was basically empty. Nothing essentially gets done over the next at least week, right? Oh, yeah. And, and this is all because Kevin McCarthy made this deal with his own Republican conference to say one member could, could create this, all this chaos by saying, we don't want you to be our speaker anymore. This all happened because Kevin McCarthy made a deal with the devil um, and now he's paying for it. And and worse, the country's paying for it. Uh, Blake, what occurred to me when you were walking down the uh, the tunnel with uh, Representative Lawler is that he's a moderate. He's in a swing district. And when we look at our nation, I, I was I was a Democrat in a Trump district, so I can relate to this. But, you know, when you look at what are we going to do uh, going forward to make our country uh, a better place for um, our for governing? And we've got to look at things like gerrymandering. And, you know, when you have these extreme right districts or these extreme left districts, that's the kind of person that's elected. Um, when you have a district like where Lawler comes from, a swing district, you're going to have more reasonable members of Congress. So we got to look at that. We have to look at money and politics. There's just so much we have to look at to get our democracy in a better place. And, I, you know, I think we have some rough days ahead. All right, you say money and politics. Um, I want to get to something in a second. H- hang around. We're going to... Uh, Keep, keep you two here. What'd you make of that interview with Lawler there? I mean, how frustrating it would be. We don't have very many people who want to be good at this anymore. Uh, That's what I was struck by. Like the question of like, would you do this? And he was like, why would my, why would I put my family through, through something like this? Well, why home? would you even bother serving in Congress, right? What's, what's the point? If Congress won't be Congress. We have a crisis in the United States right now, and I use the word advisedly. But we have a branch government that doesn't want to do its job. Congress, members of Congress, it's um, uh, our colleague, David Jonah Goldberg, refers to it as the Parliament of Pundits. Uh, they want to have a lot of opinions. They want to be famous. They want to tweet. They want they want all that hot action and all the likes. But grinding out the boring, tedious work of making law and governing a country is not that appealing. And we need adults. We need a bunch of adults who are willing to work together and get this boring work done. So there was a headline that caught my attention today, which I want to turn to now. It actually came in the New York Times. And this is what it said, the article, quote, how a gerontocracy explains the Matt Gates clown show. And this is part of the article, quote, along with decrepit presidents and creepy death watches around senators and Supreme Court justices, chaotic clown show debates over fiscal policy are part of what you get when a democracy becomes a gerontocracy. There is this debate Word. that is taking place right now about, you know, the, the age of our politicians uh, all across both sides of the political aisle. But I found it interesting when you actually listened to what Matt Gates said yesterday, whether you believe he should have done what he did or not. Let's just listen to a second for Matt Gates yesterday on the House floor. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. I think $33 trillion in debt is chaos. I think that facing a $2.2 trillion annual deficit is chaos. I think that not passing single-subject spending bills is chaos. I think the fact that we have been governed in this country since the mid-90s by continuing resolution and omnibus is chaos. He's basically saying we don't want to become Greece. 
right? And austerity. He dropped the word austerity earlier today. And going back to that New York Times headline, is he hitting at, he's 41 years old, hitting at this idea of enough short-term thinking. Folks like myself have four or five decades ahead of me. Yeah, but like, I mean, I think Matt Gates is using that argument to, to further his cause. He's a showman. He's not a serious lawmaker. He's more interested. Oh, there, As you can see, the there, might, there, might be, there might be some showmanship. On that front. But to his point, we need to return to regular order. We need to return to the regular legislative process. To Chris's point, yes. we're electing all these folks that have no interest in doing the real work of Congress, which is 80 percent in committees with markups and, and hearings. And when you elect folks that don't fundamentally understand what Congress is there for, you're going to get folks that aren't interested in fundamentally legislating. And that's a process that we're in right now. Guys, all right. I'll tell you what. (laughs) But I think I think part of the problem is, is that if something is such a crisis, right? So we listen to Congressman Gates talk about the spending crisis we have, the fiscal crisis. And at one point during his speech, he said, you know, if this country's going down, I'm going to go down fighting. Um, If something's such a crisis, then you're willing to make compromises and cut deals to cut into that problem, to tackle that problem. And what you see, uh, particularly with Republicans lately, but we've seen this on both sides of the aisle when there are problems that they say are crises, is, well, what if we did a little bit here and I horse trade? No, 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 no. I am not going to vote for I'm not going to vote for something that isn't everything. And and, and if it's all or nothing, it's hard for voters to actually believe that you believe something is a crisis. If it's it's a crisis, what do we all do as people? What do families do? They say, I better just do this because I've got to start to deal with this problem. That's not how Congress acts. Sherry, uh, how a gerontocracy explains the Matt Gates clown show. When you see that headline and what the, the Times was positioning today, what do you make of it? Well, I don't think it's necessarily old age that is the is one of the biggest problems in Washington. It's it's really old wounds that are playing themselves out in the form of vengeance. Um, you know, we we have seen that with Donald Trump as president, and, and God forbid, is if he's elected president again, what he will do with that vengeance? Um, it is Matt Gates does not have a good relationship with Kevin McCarthy, so that plays out like this. But again, the those of us on the receiving end of this, the American public. Um, it, it is a continual deterioration of our faith in government, and we just cannot continue to go in this direction. It is, it's harmful to our nation, to our democracy, and we've got to look at some common sense solutions to getting our democracy in a better place, a couple of which I just mentioned earlier. Nan, last word to you. I would dig far more foundationally with all respect to everyone speaking here. Our nation's fundamental problem is that we have a citizenry that by and large is accustomed to looking to government for management of most of our lives, including pensions and benefits, things that this government by constitution was never designed to do, which means that the federal government is neglecting the responsibilities like border security, uh, like fiscal uh, soundness, that it actually should be carrying out uh, far better. But it cannot because so much is taken up in jobs that it was never designed to do. And so long as that is the case, it doesn't matter what the age of the representatives is. It matters somewhat less, frankly, whether or not districts are gerrymandered or not. Until and unless we have a citizenry that says, please, government, do less for me, take less from me, and I will manage my life far better than you do, we're going to continue to see this play out, varying flavors, maybe, you know, from from week to week or month to month, but that is the foundational problem. 
Nan, Sherry, thank you so much. But hope to see you both in studio soon. Come on back. Thank you. We'll leave it there. Uh, have a good thank one. Thank you. Uh, yeah, before we go, it, it's good to see that the adults are adulting, right? You know where I'm going with this? I, I'm afraid I do. Where am I going with this? <clears throat> You're going to Patrick McHenry. And my bow tie today is not uh, <laughs> an homage. Not, a, a, not an homage. This is just I'm I'm also part of the bow tie friendly community. Pat- Patrick McHenry booted Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer. His first his first official act is basically the acting speaker said, get out of here, Nancy Pelosi. Get out of here, Steny Hoyer, from their nicely located office in the house. So I don't I don't think Patrick McHenry is a bad person. Um, I think he had a problem, which is he couldn't move <clears throat> he couldn't move into the speaker's office. Because if he moves into the speaker's office, then it looks like he is running for speaker or there is a usurpation going on here. Democrats, uh, Republicans dislike Nancy Pelosi. You kick Nancy Pelosi out of her office. They, you get a little, oh, you're so mean. We love that. We love how mean you were to Nancy Pelosi. And then Patrick McHenry has a place to have his office during this intervening period. Was it handled the correct way? No, certainly it was not handled the correct way. But then I would also say to Nancy Pelosi, don't try to make yourself a martyr. Let other people martyr you. Don't come out and say, this is outside of the rules, and Dennis Hastert had a much larger office. Don't communicate that way. Just be cool. It is an awful headline and an awful yeah, yeah. look 100%. at the end of the day. Uh, small bad. Bad, yes. bad, bad, bad. All right, well, coming up, a momentum swing in New Hampshire as Nikki Haley passes Ron DeSantis to claim second place in a brand-new poll there. So what is Chris making the numbers as he looks into them? We'll get into it coming up when The Hill on News Nation returns. Football is the game of life. And it brings the community together. White, black, boys, girls. Flag, tackle. Football can revive communities. That's why I think you know, football is on the right path community with football is very accepting and loving to people who enjoy the sport. Win or lose, they do it as a family. Futureforfootball.com Hey, everything okay? Yes, I'm fine. Honey. Hey, I'm here for you. Tell me about school today. When kids can't find the right words... Music can help them sound it out. Talk to the kids in your life about their emotional well-being. Find tools and resources at SoundItOutTogether.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Pivotal Ventures. My daughter was diagnosed with a rare malignant rhabdoid tumor on the spine. They sent her straight to St. Jude. My hope was gone. But when you get there, everyone's like, hey, we're not going to give up. And when you see other people not giving up on your child, that makes all the difference in the world. When I found out I didn't have to pay, I was just grateful. They saved my baby's life. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Hey, everyone. Operation Lifesaver here. Today, we're going to find out what delivery drivers know about railroad safety. What do you do if your vehicle gets stuck on the railroad tracks? Get out of the car. Correct. Do you take the pizza? No, then I call my boss. No, then you call the number on the blue and white ENS sign. And tell them I'm stuck in the crossing ID number. Exactly. Remember, get out, get away. Find the blue and white sign to save your life. Leave the pizza. 
See tracks, think train. For more information, go to OLI.org. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Connell McShane. Join me weekdays, 3 to 5, on America's fastest growing news channel. This Halloween. I'm ready to go trick or treating. A spell is being cast. I think we should observe Halloween properly. With a flick of the wrist. Let's have some fun. And a sneaky nose twitch. Now that's what I call magic. Antenna TV is conjuring an entire day of Bewitched. You bet your sweet broomstick. On Antenna TV's witch o I wouldn't miss this for the world. All day long, October 31st on Antenna TV. Happy Halloween. Many medicines used to treat colds and flu contain acetaminophen, a pain reliever and fever reducer found in hundreds of over-the-counter and prescription medicines. But taking too much acetaminophen can damage your liver. To learn more, visit fda.gov slash otcpaininfo. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Food and Drug Administration. Wounded Warrior Project helps post-9-11 veterans and their families realize what's possible. With support and resources that bring warriors together and empower them to become stronger, both inside and out. It's possible to begin healing. To get the help you need. To find peace. And as each warrior's needs evolve, so do we. Because these last 20 years are just the beginning. Learn more at WoundedWarriorProject.org slash possible. All right, over to the campaign trail now. Nikki Haley's post-debate momentum twice now. Uh, showing up in the numbers, a new poll from Suffolk University finds the former South Carolina governor, uh, former U.S. ambassador, surging past the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, putting Haley in second place in New Hampshire with 19%. Of course, as you see in the numbers there, she still trails Donald Trump in that state by 30 and much larger nationally. Chris, you look at the numbers. Uh, what are you seeing with Nikki okay. Haley? Okay, so the story of Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, and this uh, checks out with other uh, polls that I've seen. I've been made privy to a couple of uh, polls that were done. All right, all right. Okay, and so where's she getting that vote from? She's not getting that vote from Donald Trump. There aren't people uh, at this point who are going to switch from Donald Trump to Nikki Haley. She's taking it out of Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. and she's taking it out of Chris Christie. Okay. Because what the what's happening in the Republican Party, and we've talked about this many times before in these segments, there's three pieces of the Republican Party. There's pro-Trump, there's anti-Trump, and then there's what uh, a friend of mine calls always Republican. You've got never Trump, always Trump, and always Republican. Right. And what Nikki Haley or somebody is trying to do is consolidate the 25% of the Republican Party that is anti-Trump so that they can then have a platform to make a play for those in between. And what I see her doing is exactly that. Um, how long Ron DeSantis is going to hang in in New Hampshire, I don't know. But for sure, the pressure on Chris Christie uh, for a candidacy that was always uh, conceived as a, as a long shot, right. but that he could do it in New Hampshire – he can't be trailing. He can't be in fourth place in New Hampshire, especially with but, Nikki Haley, who would be very acceptable, especially from a foreign policy point well, of view, for a ton of those same voters. I just heard you say 25 percent. Yeah. Like that middle. Donald Trump is 2x plus. That. So, there, so it's 35 percent hardcore Trump. Okay. 25% hardcore anti-Trump. And, that gives us and then the, the 40% in between. And the battle is over that 40%. Okay. And in New Hampshire, I want to just reinforce, people forget, 
Never in Republican history have Iowa and New Hampshire voted for the same candidate, Mm -hmm. right? They've always split. And New Hampshire loves to stick it to the man. New Hampshire is really big on sticking it to the man. That's what they did with Donald Trump in 2016. They said, oh, Jeb Bush, isn't that adorable? No way. We're doing this guy. We're going to blow this up. And the final thing I say about that, there is no Democratic contest. Uh, JFK Jr. is is vacating the Democratic Party. There is no Democratic contest in New Hampshire. All of those independent votes can come into the Republican nominating contest. They could come in and deal Trump a painful blow in New Hampshire, and then it's a 32-day gap till South Carolina, the state that Nikki Haley used to be I don't, the governor of. I don't think, uh, Kara, it's coincidental that Nikki Haley had a birdcage sent to her by the Trump campaign <laughs> uh, the other day after he called her bird brain. Clearly, there's some sort of, uh, the Trump campaign sees the numbers and maybe sees a threat here, or no? Well, yeah, because I think uh, the independents, her purchase with independent voters, and we've seen poll after poll Uh, One of the most recent ones, a Daily Mail poll, which actually said she beats Joe Biden in a hypothetical 2024 uh, through the people that that they polled by 19 points. Uh, Independence, New Hampshire, I I don't think it's any surprise. Like Chris said, she found a gap. She found a niche in the field and she filled it. She's great on TikTok. Look at her um, her responses to Vivek Ramaswamy about his dealings with China and whatnot. So there's a a neoconservative establishment angle that, um, you know, Mike Pence is not as winning some in my estimation as he once was and nikki's filling that gap she's doing well well coming up china it's land grab here in the u.s one of america's biggest adversaries is buying up property and it's now becoming an issue out on the campaign trail we are live from the state of michigan brian enton what he is seeing there when the hill on news nation returns All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. U.S. farmland, as you might know, is becoming the battleground in the fight against China. For example, Goshen, an electric vehicle battery company with ties to China, is buying American land in Michigan, North Dakota, and most recently, Illinois. And now, presidential hopefuls are starting to take notice, including Vivek Ramaswamy. He is jumping into the ongoing battle that's divided Green Charter Township. That is in the state of Michigan. Let's bring in News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton uh, live for us. Uh, Brian, you've been covering this from the jump, uh, from the very beginning. And now, uh, you know, these presidential candidates are starting to starting to highlight this Vivek Ramaswamy later tonight, right? Yeah, they are. And the locals here in Green Charter Township, like, are really, really excited about this. I mean, to be getting this national attention. They've been fighting this Chinese company for a year now. They're still fighting. The, the company broke ground right around the corner from where we're standing. Uh, but, but they're still trying to, to keep the company away. So they, they feel like this is a big step in the right direction. This rally, the Ramaswamy rally, uh, is going to start in a couple of hours behind me. Uh, they know that Ramaswamy has said publicly that he's against uh, Chinese investment into U.S. land, but they're looking forward to hearing more specifics on like what policies he would push, exactly how we would keep the Chinese out. Uh, they're hoping to hear that in the speech uh, here in a couple hours, Blake. Specifics in politics with presidential candidates? <laughs> out on the campaign yeah. trail, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, because you're there in Michigan and he's there and it's a big deal for Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, what, what are you hearing from folks there? Like, What's, what's the reception been like on, on his appearance? Well, you know, it's interesting. There, A lot of these folks are Trump supporters. I mean, I've been coming out to this horse farm uh, right here for the last year working on this Goshen story, and, and 
a lot of them really, really like former President Trump. There was one woman I just talked to who didn't know who Ramaswamy was. She said, I was going to come to the rally regardless. She thought it was like someone running for state senate or something. Uh, so she's really interested to meet him, to see what he has to say. I mean, I think they're excited that, that he's coming, but I think they're sort of unfamiliar with him because uh, this area, they're, they're really uh, hardcore into Trump. Yeah. All right. Brian Enton, live for us in the state of Michigan. Brian, uh, thank you for being here on the Hill. Uh, we'll catch you next time. See you, bud. Yeah, thank um, you. Kevin, uh, David, it's smart politics here, no, for, for Vivek Ramaswamy? It's smart politics for the Republican base. You saw okay. something similar with Ron DeSantis in Florida. He uh, worked to pass a bill to restrict Chinese investments in his state in terms of buying up yep. land. So it's certainly a, a kind of a nativist, first America kind of approach that resonates with some people because it's easy to understand. We don't want these companies coming in and buying up our, our land. That's great in terms of Republican polling. Look, I think uh, what's interesting about the China issue is – it's a bipartisan issue. I mean, both parties have talked about the need to confront China expansionism. Um, and the question I always have for presidential candidates is, so what do you plan to do about it? Now, in the United States, where these firms have been buying up land, I think the question is, who really owns the firm, right? In other words, right. how, how deep are the Chinese Communist Party's tentacles into these firms? They, they run everything in China, and they have their hand in almost every big business. Where is the land? And, you know, when I was talking to... Um, represent, advisors to Governor Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who made a big splash yeah. by refusing to allow uh, a battery company to buy land in, in Virginia, so they, they ended up in Michigan. The, the complaint there was they were going to bring in their own workers from China. So I think this is a fine sell if we're going to employ American workers to build the factory, and we're going to have American workers yeah. working right. the factory. But the, the question is, where is it located? And exactly how much, you know, how much is it subterfuge so that Chinese have a beachhead here in the United States near sensitive sites? All right. Well, for GOP presidential candidates, we just were in Michigan. There's no more state, uh, no state that's more important potentially than Iowa. We talk about it all the time here on the Hill, of course, and for good reason. But there's been a headline in Iowa in recent days that has nothing to do with the 2024 race. And here it is. Governor Kim Reynolds announced that her state will end this fiscal year with a budget surplus of nearly $2 billion. And here's the thing. It is the third year that Iowa's budget surplus is in the billions. Kara, this is how she's doing it. Uh, budgeting 99% of the state's revenue, so they're not going to 100% or above. Reducing corporate taxes, slashing the state's individual income tax rates, and she has a goal of eliminating state income taxes by 2027. This is kind of like the Republican blueprint, is it not? Sort of what we're seeing play out in Iowa? Oh, yeah, and I'll say it. You know, conservatives, Republicans can govern. And if this is the lodestar, if this is the example for conservative governance, then I'm all for it. We should, you know, listening to everything we've talked about, the, the New York Times headline when it comes to the gerontocracy and whatnot, we can't just be against something, right? We have to be for something. We have to construct an affirmative agenda. Iowa's doing it. If the rest of the states follow suit, I think we, we're, we're cutting to what Americans think is most important. That's, frankly, the economy, inflation, and the attainability of the American dream, which has taken a hit in the past few years. Is this, Repu is this Republican politics working? Well, certainly, I, I think you also have to look at the, the amount of federal dollars that are coming into these smaller states. They they uh, they receive a lot more than they they actually give back to the country. Um, so, you know, all the subsidies that Americans provide to these smaller, uh, generally red states, I think, is also part of the dynamic. Uh, and and again, we we can't be you know for socialism just for other states here uh, from a democratic perspective. Why can't we do this in Washington? 
Well, people love free money. And, uh, you know, the the uh, raging argument that Republicans are having right now about spending was not taking place when Republicans were in charge of nope. Washington. Nope, they nope, were spending nope. money uh, the, right. uh, when the economy was growing at a 4% annualized GDP. Gangbusters, while Donald Trump was president and the Republicans had a much stronger position in Congress, we were still running trillion-dollar deficits. Yep. People want it, but here's the thing. Consequences are out there. You can, they come sooner or later. And whether it's in the bond market or as we are now all suffering with, inflation. Inflation is the natural result of gratuitous overspending, even when you are in economic expansion. Neither party wants to get caught with the economic consequences. And I think Kim Reynolds, whatever her party, is an effective, pragmatic kind of leader. She gets, uh, she does a good job. She is able to find bipartisan consensus very frequently in a state that has not a large number, but a, a, a determined number of Democrats. And I think it speaks well to being, back to our theme of being a grown-up. By the way, uh, headline out of Arkansas, Arkansas looking at its third state income tax cut in 13 months. They are also running a billion-dollar surplus there. All right, coming up, the politics of war. Questions being raised about how the U.S. is supporting Ukraine in its fight against Russia. But new information today... Now raising some questions about all of it and sort of how arms are getting there and where we're getting them from and what does all of it say about how much ammunitions we have right now. We'll get into it when The Hill on News Nation returns. Welcome back here to The Hill. The U.S. is making some major major decisions to try to ease the munitions shortages that are facing the Ukrainian military. U.S. Central Command announcing today that it has transferred more than one million rounds seized from Iran to Ukrainian armed forces. But those weapons were attained, obtained rather back in December of 2022, some 10 months ago. Almost 10 months later, here we are with the announcement. Joining us now is Morgan Ortegas, former spokesperson over at the State Department during the Trump administration. Hello, Morgan. Good to see you as always. Um, I, I saw the headline, saw the story, thought this was pretty, yeah, I thought this was pretty fascinating, pretty interesting. You, you, and we were chatting about it earlier today. You, you call this poetic justice. Why? Yeah, well, first of all, these weapons that have been seized, most of it was going from Iran to Yemen, actually all the way back to 2019. Um, and these are things like RPGs, munitions, rifles, anti-tank missiles. So again, uh, in violation of sanctions, Iran was sending these weapons uh, to Yemen, to the Houthis there. These were seized by the United States. And as you pointed out, they've been in the warehouse. Well, what do we also know? One year ago, I wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal detailing how Iran was sending suicide drones to Russia. Now, these drones have been used prolifically uh, over the last year uh, of the war. And unfortunately, they have been used, these Iranian-made drones have been used to kill innocent Ukrainian civilians, especially in their cities and populated areas. So the fact that the DOD is now sending weapons that they seized from Iran to the Ukrainians, I said it's poetic justice because we know, of course, that the Iranians are aiding the Russians. The only thing yeah. that I think is wrong with all of this is that it's taken us 10 months a year to do so. We should have given uh, a Ukraine these items before the counteroffensive. They've been asking for this stuff for a long time, Blake. Yeah, so I was looking at a headline from, I believe, April of this year. U.S. announces Ukraine arms <laughs> yeah. package amid concerns of ammunition shortages. We've known of these problems for quite some time, Morgan. Uh, this We had this stuff in December. They did nothing with it in January, nothing in February, nothing in March, April, May, 
or June, and now we know that they transferred it out in late July. Why, why you know, the, the timing there doesn't really add up, especially if we know that there's, there's a shortage issue. So this is sort of variations on a theme as it relates to how the Biden administration has prosecuted this war. Me and others were very critical leading up to the war of Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, because he made the announcement that the Biden administration would not arm the Ukrainians militarily unless Putin invaded. Now, that's not what we did in the Trump administration. In fact, we did give the Ukrainians lethal aid. And to withhold that aid while you were at the same time sort of doing things that were somewhat of a green light uh, to the Russians, Things like stopping the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, letting that move forward, um, re-upping the New START treaty with the Russians without any negotiations or any concessions uh, whatsoever. And of course, we have some of the famous things that Biden said, well, maybe if it's just a minor incursion, you know, if it's just a minor invasion, whatever that means. So you had all of these things leading up that, that I think failed at deterrence. And then over the last 20 months, what you see, if you look at every single article, whether it's in The Hill or The New York Times or whatever, the administration will say, well, we're slow walking for X, Y, Z reason. Whatever the issue is that they're slow walking, uh, they do it because they don't want to provoke Putin. Listen, the genie is out of the bottle. Putin has been provoked. He invaded. This war is going on 20 months. Let's stop these half measures that only continue to prolong the war. Give the Ukrainians what they need. Morgan Ortegas, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time as always. See you soon. Thanks, Blake. Yep. Uh, before we turn to Elizabeth, um, Kara, the, you know, the chaos in the House sort of highlights the sort of concern that Ukraine should have right now about how much U.S. aid is going to be flowing to that country, does it not? Like, we don't know now what's going to happen with, with funding here in Washington no Speaker of the House and what it means for Ukraine going forward. True, but I think it's been akin to a debacle in the House with the, when it comes to aid and, and oversight in general for this Ukrainian war. I mean, Morgan was spot on, right? The, the Those who were involved in policy in uh, the Biden camp when he was vice president, now they, they failed at deterrence. Uh, they've been instituting half measures over and over again. So this is all of sort of Biden and his apparatchiks makings. And so I wouldn't put full blame on the House. But when it does come to the House and the Hill in general, we need oversight, frankly, of this. And America, the American people, you know, I was in the GWAT. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan three times. Uh, I've said this before, but I hugged my dad on the tarmac of Camp Leatherneck in Afghanistan, two generations in the same war. We don't want to see this kind of thing happen. So if we can give them what they need to end this, and there has to be an end game, there has to be a strategy, that's a good thing. All right, let's bring in now Elizabeth Vargas. Of course, Elizabeth Vargas report starts in uh, just over 10 minutes here on News Nation. You know, Elizabeth, the future of Ukraine. Ukraine and funding and with with everything that's going on in Washington right now, there was a lot of skepticism among Republicans before. Now, I mean, who knows where this goes? Yeah, well, one of the two people who've declared their candidacy for Speaker of the House, Jim Jordan, has said he opposes um, aid to Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means, if he is saying he wants to stop all aid instantly or if he wants just more accountability um, or if he wants uh, just to reduce it. Um, but either way, it's a political hot potato there. We know that more uh, more than half of Republican congressmen oppose aid to Ukraine. This is a big issue. Uh, it's interesting, too. I don't know. I'm sure you caught Kevin McCarthy's late night uh, news conference uh, where he proceeded to give last night a history lesson in World War Two and how much uh, what's happening right now with Russia and Ukraine mirrors what happened with uh, Hitler and Germany. So it's it's you know, it is a issue of great division, even 
even within the Republican Party, you've got people who are very firm and wanting to do more. I think Morgan made some great points as well about the fact that there's been a lot of criticism that we've been slow walking the help that we have given. Um, Ukraine has been begging for months for F-16s, for example. They had to wait, beg and wait for months for tanks. Um, so there is an argument, a compelling one for the fact that if you're going to give it, do it. Do it do it big and do it right and do it in, 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 as soon as they need it, as opposed to maybe prolonging yeah. the war longer than it had to have gone. Real quick, Elizabeth, what do you got coming up tonight? Well, guess what? The chaos in Capitol Hill. We're going to be weighing into that, obviously. We'll be speaking with one of the eight congressmen who voted no. We're also going to have, uh, we're going to hear from the, probably the most hated man in Washington, D.C. Matt Gates will be on the show as well. And we'll get Geraldo Rivera's take on it all. He, uh, he's really going to war against Gates and, and that caucus. So we're going to have that. We're also going to have the very latest on this case with the kidnapped uh, nine-year-old, um, the man who's now charged and kidnapped. And we're going to go inside the jail where Rex Hewerman awaits his trial, the Long Island serial killer, to find out what conditions are like as he prepares to go on trial for what that was one of the most infamous serial killings in yeah. the country for many, many, many years. All right, Elizabeth, we'll see you in about seven minutes' time. You got it. Thank you. All right, and you can watch Elizabeth Vargas report 6 o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. Well, coming up with the holiday travel season approaching, there is a wild warning from the TSA. And it's about your pet. It's coming out. Tonight on News Nation, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy weighs in on the 2024 race and why he thinks the proposed Chinese owned battery plants in America are bad for all America. Tonight at 7, 6 Central on On Balance, only on News Nation. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's a couple stories that caught our eye. We begin with NASA, the astronauts there will be wearing Prada. The luxury brand will partner with Axiom Space to design NASA's spacesuits, and Astro's uh, astronauts will wear the final product for the Artemis III mission in uh, 2025. What's the beef? Look at that goofball business. <laughs> come on, be cool. Just because there's no bow tie. Well, look, okay, come on now. obviously I'm not in a position to give anybody fashion <laughs> advice, but, you know, maybe Brooks Brothers could do a spacesuit. That could be more of a dress down. Boring. Well, Drucker, you know. I mean, you're, you might have some Prada on right now. You are That's high as sharp. Uh, gentleman doesn't what is, look, it's uh, what is that tie? Yeah, right. <laughs> you could balance Iowa's budget. You could double balance <laughs> Iowa's budget just with Drucker's tie budget. You guys are sharp looking in spacesuits. As a graduate of Space Camp, I don't know. Really? There you go. I don't um, talk about all right. it that much. Other headline <laughs> TSA, this one blew my mind. TSA, don't put your pets through the x ray machines from 30,000 feet now, uh, from outer space to 30,000 feet. Here was the tweet from someone over at TSA. Just when you thought it was safe to bring your pet on a cat on a trip, a traveler left their pet cat in its traveler carry case at the checkpoint this morning. Attention pet owners, please do not set your, send your pet through the x-ray unit. Catastrophic 
mistake. I don't know what's worse, <laughs> the decision or the pun. I just want to say I'm glad that we can point out this is Virginia, not West Virginia. <laughs> this is Virginia. This is plain Virginia, not my West Virginia that did this. So. Who would think about putting the cat 